0: A little over 20 years ago now, I was a student at Auburn University, and I had grown up in a Christian home. Uh, I had committed my life to Christ at an early age, and I was involved in a campus ministry there on campus, and yet I found myself standing in a Christian bookstore holding a copy of a book called Evidence That Demands A Verdict. It. Uh, it's an old apologetics book from years ago, and I was standing there because I was really wrestling at that time with whether I believed all this Christianity stuff that I'd always said that I believed. And as I was standing there, a lady walked up to me, kind of out of the blue, and she says, you know, my my daughter was really struggling a while back, and this really helped her. And she handed me a copy of a book, and it was called, Come Away, My Beloved. And I thought, this is a really bad pickup line. But... (laughs) I, I, you need to understand that, that this is not the type of book I would come anywhere close to. Okay, This is a book of cheesy Christian poetry from the 1960s. So I, there's no way i ever pick up this book on my own. But she picks up this book and she hands it to me and she points me to one particular poem in it. And I was going to have John Paul come do a dramatic reading. <laughs> uh, let me read just a couple of lines from it. Uh, and excuse the bees and thous and yeas, but but this what it says. My child, the path of beauty is before thee. It may look rugged, but it is the only way of divine blessing. Be not deceived by doubts, and be not detained by fears. Walk on with me, and I shall be very near to give thee support and encouragement. So you have nothing to warrant thy fears. They shall vanish as ye obey. I read that, and it really absolutely freaked me out. But, but, but in a good way, and I looked up to tell the lady, thank you, and she was, she was gone. She wasn't there anymore. She just kind of dropped in, handed me this, and, and kept moving. And I went and I bought this book, and I, and I bought another book. And it really was a sort of a turning point, one of those kind of remembrance stones in my life where God was sort of letting me know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just keep walking with me by faith. And I tell that story for two reasons. Number one, we are about to devote several weeks to some of the intellectual objections that people have to Christianity. We're going to be wrestling with those ourselves. But you need to know and realize that our struggles with faith are not just intellectual struggles. They really are also struggles to simply trust and obey God, to walk with Him and to follow Him. Uh, even when everything around us doesn't make sense. So while we're, we really are looking at intellectual objections, don't make the mistake of thinking that all of your problems with faith are simply intellectual problems. There are other things involved as well. Uh, the second reason I tell this story is to say, I want you to know that it's okay to wrestle with doubts about your faith. Uh, you don't need to suppress those or, or act like they don't exist. And I'll be honest, while that day really was a big turning point in my life, that wasn't the last time that I've wrestled with doubts about my faith. And that's that's one of the reasons that I want to do this series. I think more of us in the church wrestle with doubts and intellectual questions about Christianity than are willing to admit it. And it can be really scary when you're in that place. When you feel like, I can't give voice to these Concerns and doubts I have because the people around me are going to reject me if I do that. It can be really scary when a professor, maybe for the first time, challenges things you've always held dear and you don't know what to do with that. I want you to hear me saying that it's okay for you to struggle with and to wrestle with your doubts, to, to, to wrestle with those nagging questions. That sometimes you feel like, I just need to push those back down uh, and get away from them. Uh, Because if you don't deal with them now, when a real crisis hits, uh, when someone really challenges your faith, when you really go through a period of intense suffering, it's going to make those battles to believe that much harder. So we really should listen to those questions we have and wrestle with them and think about them. Uh, A second reason we're going to do this series is, even if you're a Christian who you're like, you know, I never really struggle with those questions. I just believe, and and that's all there is to it. And that's great. But you are also called in Scripture to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And people are going to ask you questions. And so I hope this series helps you to be able to answer some of those questions that people ask. And then the third reason we're doing this series is, I'm not assuming that everybody that comes to grace is a Christian or would consider themselves a Christian. Some of you aren't sure what you believe. Uh, Some of you would consider yourself a skeptic. Uh, Some of you may have questions about Christianity that you've never really gotten good answers to. I hope the series is helpful to you as you think about those things. And I hope this church is helpful to you as well. Because at the end of the day, whether you're a Christian, are not a Christian, are something in between, we want Grace Presbyterian Church to be a place where you can be honest about who you are and what you're thinking and what you're wrestling with. A, a, a place where you can be real about your questions and your struggles, and yet at the same time know that you're going to be loved and welcomed by this church. So that's kind of the pre-series uh, introduction. we're going to be doing this for about for about eight weeks but let's read today's passage which is John chapter 14. And I'm going to read verses one through seven. This is God's word. Jesus says, "Let not your hearts be troubled. believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. You pray for us. Father, we, we look to You now uh, to make Yourself known to us as You have in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would You make Yourself known to us uh, through Your Word? Would You help us as we struggle with questions about who You are? Uh, God, reveal Yourself to us. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Let me give a. Uh, this, I'm going to do this once in the series, and I probably won't do it every. Week, but I want to give a disclaimer uh, that a lot of what I'm doing is drawn from a book called "Reason for God" by Tim Keller. So I'm not going to say his name every time I read something from the book, unless it's a direct quote. But just but just know that. And if the things we talk about today kind of are interesting to you. There are copies of that book in the back that are, that are $10 that you can pick up. But anyway, here, here's how this is going to work. Uh, each week over the course of this series, we're going to pick one objection that people commonly have to Christianity. And we're going to think about that objection and try to respond to it. Uh, this week, the question is, how can there only be one way to God? How can there only be one way to God? Or you may have heard it say like this: it's ignorant and arrogant and intolerant to think that your way is the only way that somebody can come to have a relationship with God. That's just this that's intolerant, that's arrogant, that's ignorant for you to think that way. So that that's what we're dealing with today. When I was a kid, there were two types of toothpaste. Okay? There was, as you might remember this, there were crest and there was Colgate, and there was one flavor each, and you just chose one. Now, I think my granddad used this stuff called AIM that was this nasty stuff that nobody else used, and I remember seeing commercials for Aquafresh, which was the rebel toothpaste because it had three flavor stripes. Okay, But we all knew that stuff would just rot your teeth out. So you, just, you don't use Aquafresh. So in my mind, there are two types of toothpaste. There's Crest and there's Colgate, and you pick one. Now, fast forward today, when I walk into the toothpaste row at Walmart, I feel like I'm gonna have a seizure because of the sensory overload of toothpaste types, okay? There there are everything you can choose from in the world. And and Gatorade's the same way. When I was a kid, you drank the lemon-lime stuff and you got over it, okay? Because because that's all that there was if you wanted to be hydrated. Uh, But now we didn't even have water. Now, now you can go in and choose from a billion flavors of Gatorade. Now, in a similar way, when I was a kid, to, to my mind, there were Presbyterians and there were Baptists and there were Methodists. And that was that was about it. And then as I got a little bit older you realize, okay, there are charismatics and they're Episcopalians. And, and uh, they are non-denominational churches. They're, you get exposed to a few more. But, but all of these, even though there are more flavors of Christianity, you're still all within the Christian tradition, right? They're still roughly believe the same sort of thing. Today, it can begin to feel like that we're being exposed to as many different religions, not just varieties of Christianity, but different religions, as many different religions as there are flavors of Gatorade are types of toothpaste that's used from on the shelf uh, at Walmart. It's not unusual anymore to know people, to have relationships with people who are Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist or atheist. You you pick the, the religion. It's not unusual. The world has become much smaller for us in America. It's not unusual to have relationships now with people who believe completely different things the things that you might believe as a Christian. And you get to know these people who think differently about the world than you do, and you begin to say, well, they're kind of nice, and they're not crazy, and they're a really good neighbor, and they're actually more moral than I am. And so it's easy to begin to think, well, who am I to say my religion is the only way? That seems to work for them. My religion works for me, so maybe they're all just different ways of accomplishing the same thing. Some people like Crest. Some people like Crest with lightning strips. Some people like Crest with peroxide. They're all toothpaste. They're all trying to accomplish the same thing. They've just got different formulas, but they're getting you to the same place, which is getting your teeth clean. Uh, these are all different religions, but they're all just different formulas of the same thing. They're all trying to accomplish the same thing, which is to improve your life and help you to have a better relationship with God. So so at the end of the day, aren't they all after the same thing? Aren't they all basically the same? And that's the first objection uh, to Christianity that I want to deal with. Uh, And here's the idea, the objection that, look, there can't be only one way to God because... And here's the reason number one. There can't be only one way to God because all religions are equally valid and they basically all teach the same thing. All religions are equally valid and they basically all teach the same thing. Now let's think about that for just a minute. You know, there's, a, there's a lot of different religions. Uh, suppose somebody came up with a religion that at the end of one year of marriage the wife was supposed to kill her husband and offer him as a sacrifice to the gods. I will call it the praying mantis religion or something like that. Would, would, would you, would you, and some of you are like, hmm, maybe, maybe. Um, but, but would you really want to say that that religion is an equally valid religion? Or, think about some of the cults that have ended in, in mass suicides. Would you really want to say that those religions are equally valid religions with, with every other religion? So you say, well, okay. That's kind of silly. Left's just restricted to the major religions. which I might say, well, why? Why are we restricted to the major religions? But okay, we'll, we'll play that game. Let's just restricted to the major religions. Do all major religions basically teach the same thing? Buddhism doesn't really believe in a god per se, Islam believes in an impersonal god. Christianity teaches that God is personal, but that He is triune, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hinduism is all over the place about what God is like. Christians believe that Jesus is God, Muslims believe, and Jews believe that Jesus is simply, at the end of the day, a great prophet. And we're not even addressing the different ways that different religions think you reach God. So while it may sound educated, it may sound noble and humble to say, they're all basically the same thing. They're all teaching the same thing. At the end of the day, that's not true. They're not all teaching the same thing. They're all very different. And it's actually insulting to the members of the various religions to tell them, oh, you're just teaching the same thing as everybody else. Objection number two to saying there's only one way to God. It something like this. Each religion sees part of spiritual truth, but none of us can see the whole truth. Each religion seeks part of spiritual truth, but none of us can see the whole truth. Now, here's the way you've probably heard this illustrated. Uh, there are three blind men. They're walking down the road. For whatever reason, there's an elephant in the road. Uh, and then they come up to this elephant, and they start trying to figure out what this animal is. The first blind man grabs the trunk and he says, oh, this is some sort of snake-like animal. And the second uh, blind man grabs one of the legs and he says, oh, it's more like a tree trunk. And the third blind man is just touching the side and he says, this is a large and flat animal. None of the blind men can see the whole elephant. They can each see and feel, or they can each feel part of it. And so the way the illustration goes is That's the way all the world religions work. Each religion sees part of spiritual reality, but none of them can see the whole picture. Each religion sees part of spiritual reality, but none of them can see the whole picture. Just like each blind man knows part of the elephant, but none of them can see or understand the whole elephant. Again, that sounds very humble, That sounds very enlightened, but it's actually not. Because what's the person telling the story claiming to be able to do? You see it? He can. That's what he says. The person telling the story says, I can see the whole elephant that none of you blind men can see. I know that you're not grasping the whole truth because I can see the whole truth. I can see what I say none of you are able to see. And Keller puts it this way, how can you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself have the superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality that you just claim that none of the religions have? No religion can see the whole truth You're only able to see part of it. How do you know that no religion can see the whole truth? Are you able to see what you just claimed that no religion can see? Third objection to saying it just one way to God. Uh, People will say religious belief is too socially and culturally conditioned to be truth. Religious belief is too socially and culturally conditioned to be true. Now, what does that mean? This is basically saying, hey, look, that's great that you're a Christian, but the only reason you're a Christian is because you grew up in a Christian country. You grew up in a Christian family. If you had, if you had grown up in a Muslim family, you would have been a Muslim. If you had grown up in Egypt, you would more likely been a Muslim. If you had grown up in India, you probably would have been a Hindu. So you can't really claim that your religious belief is true Because at the end of the day, it's just a product of your social environment. And and what this winds up saying is, all truth claims are just a product of the environment that you live in. It's a very postmodern objection to there being one way to know God. All truth claims are at the end of the day just a product of the environment that you live in. So you can't really say they're true. What about that claim? What about that claim? The claim that all truth claims are just a product of your environment. Isn't that claim just a product of someone's environment? Don't they just think like that because they grew up in a postmodern, questioning, skeptical country? In other words, if, if all claims about truth are just a product of your culture that you grew up in, then so is your belief about truth claims. I put it like this. You can't say all beliefs about religion are culturally conditioned except the claim that I'm making right now. Uh, yes, we have biases that we have to take into consideration. But you can't avoid making decisions about religious truth claims. You're going to do it, before, whether you do it consciously or not, you're going to answer uh, questions about what God is like. And what human nature is like. And why we're here. You you have to do that. You can't avoid doing that. And so you can't hide behind saying. Well it's all just culturally conditioned. You still have to make the effort to do it. Fourth objection. To there only being one way to God. Goes like this. It's arrogant to insist. That your religion is right. And to try to convert other people to it. It's arrogant to insist that your religion is right and to try to convert other people to it. Uh, John Hick is a religious scholar, and and he wrote that once you realize that there are good, moral, intelligent people in the world who believe different things about religion than you do, and that you realize you're not going to change their minds, it's arrogant for you to keep trying to convert them or to convince them that your way of thinking about religion is superior. Now think about that. That's his view of religion, right? And aren't there good, moral, intelligent people who have different beliefs about religion than John Hick, who he's not going to convert as long as he tries to do that? Isn't it arrogant for him to keep trying to convert them to the way he thinks about religion? I put it like this. This is another spin on this. You hear people say sometimes, look, you just can't know what God's like. It's arrogant for you to say you know what God's like. But even when you make that statement, you're claiming to know something about God. When you say you can't know what God's like, you're claiming to know something about God when you say that. You're claiming, I know that God is the type of being that you can't know anything about. Right? You're making a religious claim. Fifth objection. This is our last objection. It's nice that you believe what you believe about Jesus, but that really is a private matter. If you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. All right, this fifth objection is based on the idea, and we'll, we'll talk about this from time to time in this series, that there are two types of truth out there. There's religious truth, and then there's science and facts and politics and the real world. And it's kind of two stories of truth. And all these things in the top story are just your personal preferences. You can believe whatever you want to believe. And all this stuff on the, the bottom level is that's where we bring science. We can know facts and truth and that sort of things. Two things about this. Number one, uh, you need to know that Christianity is not just saying, here's a way for you to think about spiritual reality. You can take it or leave it. We're just throwing it out there. Christianity is saying, here's a way for you to think about spiritual reality, about all of reality, because this is how reality is. This is how reality is. Here's a story about a man who died on a cross and rose from the dead that is not just a story. It's an actual fact of history. And if this didn't happen, if Jesus' death and resurrection did not happen, then Christianity completely falls apart. And it's of no use to anybody. It's a waste of our time to even be here this morning. The second thing about this, uh, Christopher Reeve, you Christopher Reeve? It used to be Superman. Okay. He once said that when matters of public policy are being discussed, no religion should have a seat at the table. When matters of public policy are being discussed, no religion should have a seat at the table. Now what's he saying? He's saying, look, your, your religion is great and that may be true for you, that may help you, but it doesn't have any real value when we're dealing with facts. When we're dealing with public policy, you need to keep your religion a private matter that doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Now what's wrong with that? Well, what is religion? What really is religion? Here's how Keller defines it. It's a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are, and the most important things that human beings should spend their time doing. Religion is a set of beliefs about who we are, about what life is all about, and the most important things that human beings should spend our time doing. Let me, let me give an example of a religious belief that you may not think of as a religious belief. Uh, some people think that the material world is all there is. There's no God, there's no spirituality. We're just all matter and chance and time hurling through the universe. We're just here by accident. So just do whatever you do that makes you happy. Enjoy life as best you can and don't let other people tell you what to do or to believe. That's not an organized religion, that is a religious belief. That involves making faith assumptions about what life is really like. You can't empirically prove that. You're assuming the we here by chance, the matter is nothing that it is, there's no heaven, there's no hell, so just go have fun. Those are religious beliefs. Even if you say, look, I'm a pragmatist, just do whatever works. That's all we're really I don't here. What you believe, just do whatever you think works. Well, whatever you think works is determined by your beliefs about what you believe the purpose of human life is, about what you believe people are here for. So whatever you think is pragmatic is not just pragmatic. It's actually determined by your deeper-held beliefs. Breaking bad. And my goal here is to work it in every week of this series, and then I'll stop. Right. then I'll stop uh, but, but in, in Breaking Bad Walt has built this meth empire and it's involved him killing or being involved in the deaths of a lots of people okay but he's got one line so far uh, he's got one line that he won't cross he won't kill a family member everybody else is fair game but family members are off. Now, Walt's not especially religious, I don't think, uh, if you've seen the show. You know, he doesn't go to church before it starts. You don't pray at the end, like Doug Dynasty. Um, <laughs> interesting combination. Um, he's not, doesn't seem to be a especially religious person, but he is religious. That is a religious belief that it's okay to kill other people in the name of helping family, and family is off limits. How did he arrive at that? That's a deeply held belief Religious belief that he has. Uh, Walt has religious beliefs. An atheist has religious beliefs. Everybody has religious beliefs that you don't keep private. In fact, you can't keep them private because they influence everything you do. Every decision you make every day is affected by your religious faith beliefs. Whether you've sat down and thought about it or not. Everything you do is affected by and influenced by your religious beliefs. So when Christopher Reeve says, you need to keep your religious beliefs private, when your teachers say, look, let's keep religion out of this discussion, religion can't play a part of this, whether they realize it or not, they're simply making a power play. Because they're saying, we're gonna bring our religious beliefs in But your religious beliefs, because they're from organized religion, you can't bring those in. And so we're going to bring ours in, you need to leave yours out of the discussion. Christianity is saying the view in this book is the view of reality. It's not just an opinion. It's not just a value. It's a fact. It's, It's true truth. This man, Jesus Christ, is the way, and the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by Him. He is the only way to have a relationship with God. That's what Christianity is saying. Now, <clears throat> we've worked our way through the objections, um, and I know this is probably kind of deep weeds, especially if you've heard some of these for the first time, so that's why I encourage you to pick up that book, read through those, think about these a little bit more. But what I'm trying to do this morning is that if you're sitting here and you're thinking, there there can't be just one way to God. It's not possible. I hope I've at least made you question that a little bit. I hope I've at least made you doubt your doubts about Christianity. And that's what I encourage you to do is to examine your doubts about Christianity as much as you examine Christianity itself. Examine those doubts and see if they really will stand up. (coughs) at the end of the day. And then look at Jesus Christ, the one who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. You know, all of these objections in one way or the other are saying (coughs) I reject Christianity because they say that Christianity is arrogant or ignorant or intolerant, right? It's arrogant or ignorant or intolerant. But think about something with me. If Jesus is who He says He is, if He is the way, then Christianity actually has the power to make us incredibly humble. Because Jesus doesn't come and say, do the way, or walk this way, or work hard to go this way. He says, I am the way. In other words, Jesus is saying that the way you have a relationship with the Father is not by doing something, it's trusting in what I've already done. It's in recognizing, it's in your recognizing, I'm too sinful for the Father to accept me. I can't make up for my sin by becoming a more religious person. The only way that I can be forgiven is for Christ to take the punishment that I deserve. I'm acceptable, not because of me, but in spite of me. I'm acceptable not because of my work, but because of Jesus' work. And if you really believe that, if you really give that, that ought to make you incredibly humble. Uh, secondly, if Jesus is who He says He is, if He's really the truth, then Christianity, like no other worldview, has the ability to give us an accurate understanding of all reality. Because what what did John Paul read in the call to worship? The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word made God known to us. And so in Jesus Christ, the invisible has been made visible. The one who made everything has revealed himself to us. We can know the truth, if Jesus is the truth, we can know the truth about who God is and why we're here and what our purpose is. In knowing Jesus Christ, you can actually know your reason for being. You don't have to go through life simply trying to accumulate as much pleasure as possible while avoiding as much pain as possible. But you can know your reason for existence That Jesus Christ is the truth. You can understand all of life in ways that you never could apart from knowing Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. By it I see everything else. If Jesus Christ is the truth, then you can understand all of reality in ways that you never if He's not. And finally, if Jesus Christ is who He says He is, if Jesus Christ is the life, then that means that as a believer, I know that the life I have comes through Jesus Christ. I'm somebody like you, made in God's image. I'm somebody like you who's rebelled against God and won't be in I'm somebody like you who the Scripture says deserves death for my rebellion. But I'm somebody who's been given life undeservedly in Jesus Christ. And so that allows me to appreciate who you are even if you don't think the same way I think. It allows me to appreciate the gifts you've been given to somebody who's been made in God's image. It allows me to be tolerant of who you are and what you believe, even. Even as I try to persuasively point you to the one who is life. Because I know that you're like me and you won't find life by becoming religious. I know that you can't find life by becoming religious. You can only find it in Jesus. And so I don't try to change you. I don't get mad at you because you're not changing. I try to love you and point you to Jesus Christ, the one who is life, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. All i would ask you to do this morning is to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Even Even if you don't believe it, you ought to want it to be true. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I simply pray that you would help us to see that you are who you say you are, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by you. God, help us with our with our questions. Help us with our doubts. Help us to see that this is true, that it's true, true truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.